0: Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice. We're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook, Heavenly Healthy Desserts, sound, MP? Jeepers demo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe selection cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off
1: your favourite healthy desserts.
0: Woohoo! To do so, go to So Naughty But forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www. So Naughty But forward slash couch. So Naughty But Nice, delicious nutrition. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. This week, I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a naturopath, who's absolutely passionate about health and fitness. I think he and I share a lot in common when it comes to exercise, when it comes to diet, when it comes to mindset, even some you know, minimalist running stuff. So we're going to have lots of fun on this podcast. So welcome to the show, Michael Smith.
1: How you doing, Brett? Good to be here.
0: Good, mate. Great to have you on. It's great to be able to chat to you, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one today. So, Michael, you've obviously been doing this for a while. You've got some great experience in, in all of these different areas, so I'd love to hear a bit about your story, a bit about how you first got into this field.
1: Yeah, probably similar to a lot of other natural practitioners. I came from an area of not being well and working through that myself before I went on to study naturopathy. I used to be a chef and that involved drinking far too much coffee and alcohol and poor sleep habits, poor lifestyle habits and I actually went and saw a naturopath and they put me on the right track and I felt you know, so much better that it inspired me to go and study myself. So in Melbourne, I studied at the Melbourne College of Natural Medicine and even though I was studying natural medicine and looking into all the diets, I never actually felt 100%. I was you know, to be quite honest, I was falling asleep in class, um, struggling to sort of have enough energy to get through the day, and it wasn't until you know, a few years later that I realised that my diet was part of that problem. And <laughs> like a lot of other paleo people, I was on a vegetarian diet, so uh, lots of grains, lots of healthy porridges and breads and wholemeal sandwiches, but it just wasn't suiting my wasn't suiting my genetics. And slowly, in the last four or five years, I've switched over to a paleo diet, like 90 to 95%. And that's when I've seen a you know, huge difference in the energy levels. Um, and also with clients, like getting them to slowly adapt to this type of lifestyle as well.
0: Cool. So um- – it's obviously been a bit of a process for you. There's been a bit of learning that's happened along the way. So let's start right from the start. What was it that your naturopath first said to you? What what did they change first up that, that actually made a difference for you?
1: Well, the part that I remember most was cutting out the five or six coffees a day. I, I remember
0: going... <laughs> was that because you found that a bit of a challenge?
1: Yeah. I was, well, I was working in a restaurant at the time and coffees were just handed to me on a plate. And so I, I took everything that they said on board though and I actually cut down to one coffee a week. I just enjoyed one coffee on a Sunday. And I changed the diet and definitely started feeling better, like less less fatigue. So I was always tired then. I didn't really you know, if I went to the doctor, all my blood tests were fine, but I was just exhausted. And looking back now I realized that I had all the symptoms of adrenal fatigue. Mm. And and it was uh I was doing a lot of meditation at the time, which probably led me to that vegetarian lifestyle. It was also the the meditation that made me more aware of my body and the the fact that I just wasn't getting the results that I thought I should be getting.
0: So, Michael, when you went from five or six coffees a day to one coffee a week, how did that go for you? What did you notice?
1: Well, after the headaches went away, and I actually noticed I I had way more energy. I thought I needed coffee to survive. And within a few weeks, yeah, I wasn't, you know, crashing of an afternoon. Um, I was sleeping better at night time. It yeah, I just lost I lost the craving. It didn't take too long at all.
0: And how do, have you now, uh, I guess, made those recommendations with other clients? Because coffee can be a tough one for people to to crack. You know, for a lot of people, their coffee is their thing that they just love. Uh, and some of them don't want to give it up, but some of them would like to give it up or at least try and give it up and see what changed. How do you help other people do that if that's what they want to do? Have you found that difficult or do you find that people are able to make that change?
1: Coffee is one of the hardest ones. Like a lot of people are happy to, you know, maybe cut out alcohol and, but coffee's one of those ones that once you get past that headaches for a few days it does it does become easier. I think coffee's probably easier to give up than say gluten and some of those other addictive foods. The I actually still enjoy a coffee now. I just went from drinking way too much coffee to having one coffee a day and probably a few times a year I'll actually cut it out for a week or two just to resensitize my system. Mm. And I've looked into the genetics and I'm actually a slow metabolizer of caffeine as well. So I do notice that if I have in a social situation, sometimes I'll have another couple of coffees a day and it does does, uh, put me on edge a little bit and it doesn't agree with me. But I was just immune to it back then. I was having five or six a day and then one before bed and going straight to sleep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing, and that's probably a pretty good sign that you know your your body's becoming a bit uh, overloaded with that caffeine, and, and that adrenal system maybe isn't working the way that it ideally should be. You know, if you're having a coffee right before you go to sleep and and not having any trouble getting to sleep, there that might be a sign that the adrenals aren't where they should be. Would that be fair to say, Michael?
1: That's it, and that's what I explain because sometimes uh, clients can be quite proud that you know I can have a coffee and go to sleep; it doesn't affect me. But it's actually. It has affected them so much that it's not actually stimulating their adrenal function anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then you you decided to pursue this naturopathy degree, and naturopathy is an interesting one, I reckon, because as far as the the course and the conventional education goes, um, you know, it's great because it's a more natural approach to health. You get taught some more, you know, holistic uh, philosophy. You get taught. Um, you know, a bit more of an integrative approach to health, but it can also sometimes still be a little bit of a an allopathic viewpoint, where it's kind of almost like a, you know, we're just going to give you a natural drug rather than a synthetic drug, but we're still trying to sometimes trying to treat the symptoms. So, how was what was your degree like? How did you find it from that respect, and uh, and how did you find that as far as a learning process? Did it fit with you at the time of your philosophy, or did you find that a bit of a battle? Well,
1: at the time, they promoted. Uh, I probably learned a lot more about like health and healing since finishing the degree than actually during <laughs> the degree. Uh, a lot of it was still based on the food pyramid, like healthy whole grains. Yeah. Um, you know, not too much, not too much saturated fats. Keep the fa- fats low, and things like omega six oils weren't really discussed. Um, you know, functional pathology testing wasn't really discussed. Discussed. Mm-hmm. So, like a lot of industries, like what you learn in school is one thing, but the real learning gets out in the world when you start working with clients and and you start to as you get different successes with clients, you start to learn more and more and I'm always learning um, you know reading learning new techniques of what to what to do
0: yeah. And and that's so true. And it's the same for chiropractic. It's the same with so many of these degrees that you know you do. The, the education is an opportunity as much as anything to learn how to learn. Um, but but often what you're actually learning isn't is only a small part of the story. And once you start getting out into the field, you start meeting other practitioners, you start listening to experts, and you know people like Cindy O'Meara and Damien Christoph, and you start getting exposed to all these different people. You realize you very quickly realize that there's more to it than that. So, I guess Michael, for a lot of people who are either you know, still sort of in that mindset of the food pyramid, or perhaps they're actually studying an naturopathy degree, or a nutrition degree, or maybe even a dietitian's degree. Um, what advice would you give to them to start to broaden their knowledge? Where do they start?
1: Good question. Well, there's lots of, like even shows like this, are getting exposed to some of the experts that you interview, are uh, looking at some of the latest research because a lot of the a lot of what they're learning in college is information from ten, twenty years ago. And there's a lot of new research showing that uh, higher fat, lower carb diets can be great for certain people. Um, that, you know, the, the whole low fat thing is not so good for the health. The grains aren't so good for the health. So just getting exposed to different people and um, just keep learning. That's all you can do.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what I always say. It's about getting and get out into the field. You know, go observe someone. You know, I, I have people. I have chiropractic students come and observe me all the time, and they come and they just they just hang out in the practice and see what actually happens in the real world and have real conversations with real people who are, you know, people who in my practice particularly people who are doing the paleo diet, people who are making lifestyle changes, who are asking questions, and you know, just that exposure to get out into the field as opposed to just the theory side of it, I think can be fantastic for those practitioners.
1: That's right. I actually learned a lot from Dr. Daniel Kalish in the States. I did a mentorship program with him, and every week we'd sit down with a group of people online and we'd go through different cases, lab results, and we'd get his direct input. And it was just fascinating, like getting his ideas on what was happening and going deeper into all those lab tests and and getting a really good understanding of what's happening with the people.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's one of the wonderful things now, isn't it? There's so many more. Opportunities to educate yourself, I guess, outside of that conventional education system as well, where you know once it was just the university programs and the college courses that you could do. Now you can go online and you can do. You know, you were mentioning before you're, you're looking at one of Chris Cress's programs. You know, once again, Cynthia Mira has a program. Mark Sisson has a program. You know, there's stuff that you can do. You know, integrative nutrition's been a very popular one. There's stuff that you can do online uh, where you can learn from these experts and, and often more up-to-date, more cutting-edge information because they're not sort of within that, that old educational paradigm that are able to keep it a bit more up-to-date and a bit fresher as well. Is that what you're finding, Michael?
1: That's right and getting a, the college degrees are really important but they've got to cover to the government guidelines of what they can teach so it, it can become a bit uh, yeah not so cutting-edge of some of these newer courses.
0: Yeah. So when you were going through your study, let's, let's go backtrack a little bit again. We're kind of jumping backwards and forwards, but I think that's all right. Um, you know, you obviously you started your course. You were, you were doing some meditation. You decided that you would go vegetarian. So how did that go for you? What were the changes you made when you, when you transitioned to vegetarian? Were you a very good vegetarian? And, uh, and how did your body react and cope with that?
1: Well, at the time I thought I was a good vegetarian. I wasn't eating like the sugar and processed foods. But I was, I was still eating the bread, um, which is, on retrospect, I've, I've realized is a big problem for me. Uh, so the, the biggest changes I noticed was the, the, the fatigue came back and digestion problems, like the bloating gas, you know, never, never quite being right in the digestive system, but never really making, you know, I was thinking, well, I'm doing everything right. I'm eating so much fiber here. it should be okay. <laughs> um, And once again, it comes down to genetics. Like I've found out since that I have a lot of the genes for uh, type 2 diabetes. I was getting lots of ups and downs in blood sugar. And so when I eventually changed not just to a paleo diet, but to more of a higher fat, lower carb paleo diet, that's when I really noticed like the energy levels being fantastic during the day, um, better concentration focus, never having that need for an afternoon nap. So the, the biggest the biggest changes were the, the digestion and the fatigue with that vegetarian diet. And I actually, it felt better for a while, but it was kind of a subtle thing building up over time that I probably didn't really connect it to the diet. I might have just thought I wasn't sleeping well or there must have been something wrong with me rather than just what I was eating.
0: And it seems to be a common theme, doesn't it, for people who transition into maybe a vegan or a vegetarian diet that, that they do do incredibly well in the early stages. Um, and, you know, obviously that they are eating a whole lot more healthy, nutritious food. You know, they're getting a lot more whole, real food most of the time into their system, although we know, as you said, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just bread and pasta instead of you know, meat. Um but, but most of the time, they are getting more fiber. They're getting more nutrient density. They're getting more whole food. into it. So they do tend to do well for a period of time. But, but it does seem to be that for, for at least some of them, after a period of time, that, that positive effect starts to wane and they start to sort of fall back a little bit. So why do you think that is?
1: Well, when they first transition from like maybe if it's more like processed foods uh, into like cleaner, healthier foods, it, it does clean out their system. They do feel better. But after a while, it can lead to uh, lacking certain vitamins and minerals, especially the B group vitamins, um, B12 for example, mm-hmm. and, and lacking protein. And also, if it's mainly carbohydrate-based, some people can thrive on that type of diet and some people do thrive on a vegetarian diet, I just find it's not a yeah. lot of people. And so if they're eating lots of carbohydrates, they're getting those blood sugar crashes in the afternoon. Um, I'll see vegetarians where they start putting on weight, especially around the around the waist, so there's obviously some sort of hormonal challenges they've got going on it's but it comes down to the more of those inflammatory foods that they're putting into their system, whether it's the the breads pasta you know rice cakes, things like that. a lot of it comes in packages,
0: yeah, and I think that's the point to make is that. You know, if you're doing vegetarian really well then a lot of if not all of that can really be overcome you know if you're eating good quality food if you're eating real food if you're avoiding the processed packaged stuff if you're avoiding the processed grains and the soy's and those sort of things and getting lots of you know the healthy proteins and the healthy fats into your diet you know if you're doing that really well and and you know you can have obviously vegetarian you can have the eggs and all that sort of stuff then then you really can be getting all of the benefits of doing a paleo sort of lifestyle in a vegetarian aspect—you just have to be conscious and do it well, don't you?
1: That's right. Especially if you're not—if you're eating eggs, I think you're—you've got a good head start there. Yeah. Um, and some people like Rich Roll. There's a few other famous vegetarian athletes out there that obviously it suits them. But I think genetic-wise, it doesn't suit everybody. Like some—some some people just need that. Uh, maybe not so much a high-protein but a higher-protein, higher-fat diet that maybe a vegetarian diet doesn't give them. Like I know I was always hungry on a vegetarian diet. Even though I was eating these huge salads, I was just always hungry. So my whole life kind of revolved around food then, like what I'm going to have for breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, after dinner. And now, you know, I'll usually have breakfast, sometimes I don't, but... If I have lunch or not, it's no real big deal. I usually eat two or three meals a day, but I just eat when I'm hungry and, and don't have that craving for food that I used to have 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, and I think Nora Gagas spoke about that really well when she was on the podcast show and she spoke about you know, the carbs being kind of like kindling on your fire and that whilst they burn brightly, you, know, you have to keep replenishing them all day long. You, know, you kind of become a bit of a slave to that fire and, and that's sort of what you're talking about, isn't
1: it? That's right and that's a great analogy. So adding in – like as a vegetarian, you could add in like extra you know, coconut oil, macadamia oil, olive oil. You could add in lots of really good fats. So it can be done. Um, I haven't probably had the desire to go back and try a a vegetarian (laughs) paleo diet, Um, but it it can be done. And I think uh, every now and again – like I haven't done one for a while, but I used to to follow up and do these Vipassana meditation retreats, which would go for 10 days, and that was all – um, vegetarian diet, and I'd always feel fantastic by the end. But it was a, it was like a cleanse; you'd only eat two meals a day. It was, mm. um, so that was a good experience in the short term. But yeah, I wouldn't live like that on the longer term from now.
0: Yeah. So basically, what we're saying is you can do it, but why wouldn't you want to have bacon, right?
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> so so many options. <laughs> so, Michael, what happened? What, when did you decide that vegetarian wasn't working for you? What was your first? Insight into that, and what was your first meal? What did you What did you go for?
1: I think I started off eating more fish to start with, and even when I started eating meats, I was always going for the lean, low-fat meats. Um, it was probably only in the last four or five years, uh, getting exposed to people like Chris Cresser, that I went for more of the the high-fat meats, and um, so it was probably a gradual transition. It was probably 8 to 10 years ago that I went from vegetarian to uh more of a not even a paleo diet just cutting out the vegetarian adding in the meat to start with and then yep. it took a while to to cut out the gluten but probably the last 5 or 6 years that's you know cutting out the gluten and and most of those most of the grains sometimes I'll have sushi at night time my wife my wife makes pretty good sushi though <laughs> recently she surprised me and made cauliflower sushi which Yum. turned out to be um fantastic so we've we both felt so much better after eating that It's much lighter and not so that heavy feeling that we get from the rice so yeah it's, it's it's still a transition in progress and I'm never about hundred percent for everybody if people can start by first starting out cutting out you know, the other gluten and the processed foods that's a great start but I encourage everyone to try like a a strict paleo diet for at least 30 days and you can really see the difference if you sort of cut things out you know 80 20 that's great but you might be adding in one or two inflammatory foods every week which is stopping you uh making that next step into healing so that's yeah. something that people can try is doing a 30-day challenge as a minimum and just seeing the difference and then adding things back in one one at a time and seeing how you feel
0: yeah nice it's a great way to to get that insight isn't it I, I don't think it's always a great way to to be able to sustain it for a long period of time like not many people can make that change and just stick to it forever but it's a great way to see what's possible you know to see what if if i do get to the stage where i'm doing it all what it can feel like which i think then allows you to start as you said making those gradual changes towards where you'd i dearly like to be doesn't it
1: that's right and if you're 100% on anything, whether you're 100%, when you're 100% vegetarian, it makes it restrictive when you go out. Um, these days, you can go out a lot of the time and be, be paleo, but every now and again, you're going to be in a, in a situation where there might be something that's, you know, not classic paleo, but it's not the end of the world if you have it. Yeah. So never being absolute just makes life a lot, a lot more freer and easier and takes the stress out of eating. Eating should be fun and something you enjoy doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. So, uh, Michael, in your naturopathy practice then, um, you know, how do you approach things? How much of your time is spent, I guess, on the diet side of things and how much of your time is spent on perhaps like supplements and herbs and, and the other side of things as well?
1: Well, everyone, everyone starts with diet because you can't, you can't uh, out-supplement a bad diet. Um, yes. And some people, need, some people need the motivation to change. Um, a lot of my work is via Skype and telephone consultations. So I'll do a lot of more detailed functional pathology testing um, to find out the actual cause of what's what the problem might be, whether it's through adrenal, thyroid, sex hormone testing or detailed digestion testing or organic acids. And that also helps the people be more motivated to make change. If they can see, like in the lab results, what's happening then they might be more motivated to change their diet. I don't normally do food allergy testing, but sometimes if people are reluctant to change their diet and and they they're happy to just you know spend the money to find out what's causing the inflammation, once they get the results back and then they can see that things like gluten or dairy are creating the inflammation, then they they they're more likely to make the change.
0: Yeah, I like that. And you know one of the things I like about that is that you're not just relying on how you feel. Uh, because one of the challenges can be that sometimes, as you're getting healthier, you might feel worse before you get better. You know, um, sometimes, as you said, people feel okay, like your example with the coffee. Before people think, "Well, I deal with coffee really well because I can have it right before I go to bed." They feel okay, but they're not necessarily functioning well. And and so you might do an adrenal test on that one, or a, or a cortisol stress test on that person, and and that might show up not very well, even though they feel like they're doing okay. So that's where I think that that sort of testing can really be beneficial, can't it?
1: That's it. And also, with like people, when people, uh, they might be, I might ask them, oh, do you get bloated or have gas? And they're like, no, no, I'm pretty good. My (laughs)
0: digestion's good. And then you ask their partner, right?
1: Well, then I might (laughs) say, oh, let's just cut out these foods for a period of time. And um, because the test results show that there's some sort of inflammation. So I'll put them on a, a change of diet for a month and then we'll check in and they're like oh i'm so much less bloated i feel much lighter and yeah. i've lost you know 2 or 3 kilos but it's all fluid and gas and they didn't it just became their new normal that they were not feeling well and they didn't realize they were not feeling well because it was just normal to them yeah and, and a month later their energy's picking up their their symptoms are improving and sometimes in that first week or two i always warn people there there could be a time where you're not feeling not going to be as feeling as good as you should be because the body's making that transition especially if you you've been on like a gluten or sugar diet there's a certain amount of addiction and withdrawal symptoms from those foods
0: yeah, and, and I see the same thing in practice all the time. You know, one of the things I do with the new people who come into the practice is we do a wellness survey, and so they give themselves a score out of ten for things like their energy, their sleep, their immune system, their digestion. You know, all these sort of things, and and it's amazing how often you see someone who puts themselves right up, you know, nine or ten out of ten. Yet you're, what you're seeing in terms of how their body's functioning in their spine and nervous system is that it's just not functioning well at all. And you can so confidently sort of say to those people, look, I know you think you're doing well now, but you know, give it a couple of months, and we'll see. and and it's amazing how they kind of go... I thought I was doing well but now that I know what doing well actually feels like you know because so often you know for some of these people these chronic uh, disease you know not necessarily a disease but disease just not functioning well some of these people have been doing it since they were born you know some of these people it's just crept up on them so slowly that they have no idea that there's an issue there so it really is important once again to start looking at how they're functioning not just how they're feeling and and as you said sometimes you need to just jump in and do that 30day trial so that you can see what it's supposed to To feel like so that you've actually got some sort of relevant point of comparison.
1: That's right. And once they do the trial, like then you kind of know what's left. So if people do the trial, but they're like, well, I've still got this, you know, heartburner. I've still got uh, diarrhoea, or I've still I'm still tired. Then I might look into doing things like, you know, testing for parasites or Helicobacter pylori or SIBO, um, or doing the adrenal tests like you mentioned, or a thyroid test. So. Once they've done the diet, then you can kind of see what's left that you actually have to treat. Because sometimes a lot of the problems have gone away. The whole their long list has come down to one or two things.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so you obviously, I mean, I'm guessing your approach is going to start with food. Um, At what stage do you start introducing concepts around exercise and mindset and meditation and those other factors as
1: well? The meditation, I, I like to start that fairly soon. Because especially if people are struggling to change their diet, a lot of it a lot of it comes from their mindset. So if they can even just adopt 10 minutes of meditation a day, it helps them become more aware of their body. And these days, there's some great apps out there. I often recommend Headspace or Calm or even just focusing on simple breathing techniques for five minutes or 10 minutes a day. Then they become more aware of their body and they're more v- motivated to then make the changes. So meditation is something I really recommend early along with the diet. And then later on, I'll look at, you know, give them tips on sleeping and not looking at screens before bed, Um, getting even just getting out and doing some walking. Or A lot of people don't like going to the gym, so I might just get them doing a few minutes of, like, resistance exercise a day, especially maybe in the ads of the TV. I might get them to do, like, Depending on the person, like three or four or five push-ups, just build up really slowly, and just do incidental exercise throughout the day, and that can add up to a big difference, you know, over the weeks.
0: And so, what sort of changes are you seeing with people, Michael? I mean, what's what's a typical, uh, what's the most common, I guess, changes you're seeing with people, and maybe share with us some stories. What's been your best sort of success story, I guess, in the practice? Well,
1: probably, the probably the common, the most common symptoms you always see are. Often people trying to lose weight, um, fatigue, uh, digestion problems. So some of the some of the best ones are when people just you just change their diet, recommend some simple dietary changes, and they come back, and all the all their bloating, reflux, things like that have, have all gone away, and they've actually been able to come off their their Nexium, their their proton pump inhibitors. So they're they're great stories when they're so simple. But sometimes people have already, by the time they come to see me, they've already had all the blood tests from doctors. They've, they've even tried the paleo diet or um, they're eating really well. I can remember one guy, he came and saw me and he was, his, his diet was perfect. And it's always hard to work with people with a perfect diet because that cuts out my first <laughs> option. <laughs> and and we, we actually ended up, we did a, like a digestive stool analysis and it turned out that he had a helicobacter pylori infection, which he probably had for, for five or six years. And before that there's a massive episode of stress, because when I asked him about stress, he's like, no, no, I'm you know, I've got the idyllic lifestyle now, I'm not stressed. So he, didn't, he couldn't associate stress with his problem, but his problem started with stress. So when he was run down and stressed, that gave the Helicobacter an opportunity to take over. And it took uh we didn't actually go down the antibiotic route because he also had a lot of issues with Candida. Um, He didn't want to have any antibiotics and we got rid of the helicobacter with natural treatments and took three or four months and I actually saw him recently and he's still doing fantastically well like he's he he can actually relax his his super strict diet that he was on he can actually relax that a bit now and get away with it before he, he couldn't do anything wrong without feeling any discomfort.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and that's often a, you know, it is a sign, isn't it? That that flexibility, I guess, because we are seeing just more and more people with so many intolerances to, to a whole range of food, be they non-paleo foods and even a lot of the paleo foods now. We're seeing people struggling with eggs and struggling with nuts and struggling with, you know, uh, nightshades and, and all sorts of different foods there, which I think is a sign that there's there's other stuff going on as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, if I... If I have a client and I might put them on the autoimmune paleo diet and if they get great results on that, that's great but my work's not finished because you don't want them on that diet for the rest of their life. You want to work out like, well, why are they reacting to all these foods and it often comes down to either infections or, or leaky gut or some other, some other problem with the digestion that if you fix that and heal the gut, they can eventually start slowly adding these things back in for sure, some people may have allergies to eggs or allergies to uh, dairy, other things like that. They can never have it, but if you can actually get them to have it sometimes and, and not react in a negative way, that's a that's a really good win. It just opens their lives up to you know Christmas and birthday cakes and things like that. But a lot of these foods are associated with those times.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, so we're almost out of time here, mate. Um, if people want to find out more about you, they can come find you at planetnaturopath.com, which is your website. Uh, they can find you on Facebook and they can do consultations with you, whether or not they're in the same locale as you. You, you do consultations online. So I'm curious to find out about how that works. If uh, you know, if I need to do a blood test or a stool sample or something like that, how does that actually work logistically?
1: It's quite simple these days. Like I get a test kit. So wherever you are in Australia, I get a test kit sent out to the person. Um, and if that's a if it's a blood test, I have affiliations with the local labs that you can just go to the local lab and they'll take the blood for you. But things like the uh, the hormone testing, I either use like a saliva hormone test or uh, a Dutch dried urine test that can get done just at home, and and then she gets sent back to the lab for analysis. And once the, the results are in, we just jump on Skype like this and and go through the results. I share my computer screen with people, and I use lots of images and diagrams to explain, you know, not just what's going on with their body, but why it's, why it's happening and what we can do about it.
0: Okay, so your postman's not actually delivering poo samples to you, though?
1: Thank God, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because I live in a fairly isolated place in the world, like it's an hour and a half to the nearest town. So it's a great way to be able to practice and, and just you know, not have to put my shoes on and just wear shorts and put a shirt on, of course, and just be able to uh, do the consultations wherever I am.
0: Nice. I love that, mate. That does sound like fun. So thank you so much for coming on board, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you today.
1: Yeah, good to chat to you, Brett.
0: Beautiful. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.